Our scripture for today is from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And the title to the message is this. It's two forms of wisdom. Verse 13 of James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Here as we read these words that tell us about these two forms of wisdom, one that comes out from the hearts of men and the wisdom that comes from above, from God himself. I'd like for us to take, though, the first few moments of our message time today to observe some of the people that God has chosen to be the ones who would give his precious wisdom that's found here in these scriptures. Because within this small book, our Bible, are all the jewels of wisdom and of understanding that mankind will ever need to enable us to be able to navigate our way through all these obstacles and opportunities that take place in this present day and especially all the difficulties that are taking place. And praise be to God that he's going to give us that wisdom all the way into the eternities of heaven. To say that God is the cleverest of all teachers is certainly the greatest understatement. We should often stop, though, and gaze at God and at His special, amazing abilities to convey thoughts and meanings to our creaturely minds, to convey this wisdom that's within His mind and heart to us. And He will give to us measures of knowledge of Him and of His mysterious ways that are beyond our imagination. One of God's ways of helping our small minds to grasp an understanding of Him and of His nature is through these unique personalities of these various writers of Scripture. And make no mistake, folks, God didn't look all around the world and select the most learned minds of men to convey His messages to us. Not at all. He didn't do that at all. God had a plan that He put into place with the Trinity before the foundations of the world. And he's now working out that plan for us. Recall in Psalm 139, God tells us there plainly that he personally wove the fibers of each of our beings together within our mother's womb. And as he did that, he wove into each of us special and varied intellects and personality types each especially equipped, listen, each especially equipped to be able to do the work that he was later going to call us to do. And that was the way it was with each of these writers of Scripture. And it was that way with this Apostle James. From our study of Ephesians 1, we know that God uniquely chose James before the foundations of the earth. 
And as he wove James together in his mother's womb, he was planning what and how James would write these precious words of these scriptures that we're reading here today. Think about that. Before the foundations of the earth, God planned how James would be woven together, how his personality would be woven together in order to give us these words that we're reading here today. Now, why is knowing all of this important to you and me? It's important because God wanted a unique intellect and personality type to say these particular words to your and my unique intellect and personality type so that we could, at this moment, comprehend the message that he has for us. God is that sovereign. God is that providential. He's that forward-thinking, that comprehensive in his abilities. So then, these words given to us here in this book of James were written uniquely for you and me, and yes, for others like us, who would read them all the way back through the centuries so that we could properly receive these truths and then go out and use them for God's purposes in his kingdom. What an amazing God and what an amazing plan. Now may I pause here for a moment and ask you, do you, do I believe that what I've just said to you is true? Do you believe that God is that intentional and that purposeful with his words that he planned from the foundation of the earth to put into the mind of James for us to read today these words because he knew that we needed them. We needed them said exactly as James said them here to us. You should believe that because that's what Scripture tells us. I do believe it. Now, this man James, he's understood to be the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. And we don't know how or by what means he became the leader of the Jerusalem church, but from all that we read here in these scriptures, we understand that he was the leader of the church at the time there in Jerusalem. And we also have no evidence that James ever had any special training or education to prepare him to lead the church and to write words such as these. Just like Jesus He had grown up in Nazareth as the son of a lowly carpenter. But again, from these words, it's obvious. It's obvious that he had all the abilities that he needed to be able to preach and to teach these words to us. Praise be to God. Folks, that's how the Holy Spirit works in his life and how the Holy Spirit works in our life. Now, by contrast, looking at one of the other writers of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was very highly educated in the best of the rabbinical schools at the time. He was well-trained in his oratory skills, able to debate the scriptures with the scribes and the Pharisees and even some of the best of the Gentile minds. All of that was part of God's plan to facilitate his message going to special people that the Apostle Paul would minister to. But again, here in James, his approach to the teaching of the truths of God is is very different than the way the Apostle Paul would present them. James's manner of wording was very much on the level of the common folk, like you and me. And we see that clearly here in the first words of the chapter where James used ordinary examples and word pictures such as bits in the mouths of horses and rudders guiding great ships and all that being used to help us understand how the guiding 
of the thoughts and the words and behaviors of men and women would take place. Most anyone with ordinary intellect would be able to understand how James is wording these scriptures today. But may I also be quick to keep reminding us here that these words, while they, yes, were filtered through the mind of the Apostle James, they were also mysteriously, and listen, they were also mysteriously the exact words that the Holy Spirit enabled and guided James to say. The exact words. Now, how does that take place? Have you ever pondered that part? James thought of these words. They came through his mind, but they also were coming there from the Holy Spirit. The Bible scholars call that kind of phenomena concurrence. Concurrence. It's a phenomena by which our mind and our thoughts come into line with the mind and the thoughts of God. And one Bible teacher compares it to the way that two separate rivers can meet at a fork and then begin to flow into one, creating a whole new river. And by the way, that's how the Ohio River was formed. And that seems to be reasonable enough in its explanation for me to understand. The Apostle James's thoughts met and converged with the mind and the thoughts of God producing the words that we read from these scriptures thought up by James, but all along the words of God. And so I may I say again, these words that we read here in this book of James, they were being thought through the mind and the personality of James, but they were also mysteriously the exact words that the Holy Spirit enabled and guided James to be able to say the exact words. And that's amazing. And that's the way of this entire Bible. That's the way the entire Bible was given to us. God's Holy Spirit spoke every word into and through the minds of every one of the writers and then out onto the pages of the Bible, leaving not even, not even one syllable to come solely from the thoughts of the writer. We know that to be absolutely true from the Scriptures, such as 2 Timothy 3. Listen to this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. They come out of His mouth. Jeremiah in chapter 1 of Jeremiah said, as he was protesting, saying, I don't know what to say, God said, I will put my words in your mouth. And that's what took place with all of these writers. God's Holy Spirit spoke every word into and through the minds of every one of the writers. And then out onto the pages of the Bible, leaving not even one syllable to come solely from the thoughts of the writers. He told us also in Second Peter 1, listen, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Praise be to God for that. Now folks, please do understand and accept the words of this Bible to be truth. These words are the very breath of God, and they're precious beyond measure, providing light and life to anyone who accepts them. And again, here with James... God has given this apostle a very special ministry to people like you and me, where the writings of the apostle Paul were more deep and theological in their teachings. God has chosen his apostle James to give us instructions from a far more practical perspective, truths that we can use for the daily occurrences of life, but still very rich in theological truth. One of the methods of teaching that God employs with his writers of Scripture 
is to draw very obvious and sometimes extreme contrasts between points of understanding that he desires us to grasp. Here in the first half of this chapter, God gives stern instructions regarding the pitfalls that lie in the path of those who teach. And while, yes, these instructions are excellent practical advice for all teachers, he would have those who are called to be teachers of his word, his scriptures, to be especially careful because good and well-intended efforts can easily go off course. And here also God focuses on our tongue. And he points out how we can take one of the most useful and needful and practical instruments of our body, our tongue, and misuse it for sinful purposes. And oh, how we have heard that over the past many weeks as we have viewed our television. And here God is purposeful in pointing out the utter foolishness of our behavior, often bringing about great harm. Even often when we might not intend harm, we might intend good, but harm comes. And then as we begin to read the second half of this chapter, we see this great contrast that's being drawn between foolishness and wisdom. The foolishness that can be brought about by the misuse of our tongue, and then the simple wisdom that can be gained by being faithful to the teachings of these blessed scriptures. Let me read these words for us again. He asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Recall that James had said in an earlier chapter, you must be doers of the word, not just hearers, not just knowers of the word. You have to be doers of the word. And so he says to us here, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. As we recall the words in the first half of the chapter, we can easily see that such misuse of our tongue is almost always involved in matters of dispute and not in matters of agreement. And oh, how we have witnessed that in this recent presidential campaign. Foolish words can come simply from the mouth of a person that's filled with pompous pride, eager to display their own personal intellect. And yes, we do learn some things from them, but there's also a clear implication from the words in these earlier verses that the uncontrolled tongue spoken about there is also intent on establishing a person's argument. I know how we have heard that over the past few weeks. Verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Then in verse 9, With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And listen to this. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
And then in our text today in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now here God is instructing us that there are two forms of witness that are in play all throughout our day in all that we do, in all of our conversations, in all of our behaviors, a form of wisdom that may seem to us to be right and good and might even seem practical for some of the circumstances that we're involved in. But it's not the best wisdom. The best wisdom is, again, I'm going to read these verses again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Now the word wisdom, when used in the ordinary conversation of our culture, it has so many different faces and meanings. Its definition can change with each use. Even you and I use it differently depending on our thoughts at the moment. I've often used the expression conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom. When I would be speaking of a common way of considering a matter. And sometimes conventional wisdom is just another word for common sense. And so we use that word a lot. So often common sense seems so right to us. But folks, listen, so often our common sense is not right. It is not right. Thankfully, God's knowledge and insights are timeless and they're eternal. And so for us today, as we consider God's meaning of this word wisdom, we'll use only his perspective and his meaning as our guide. And as we focus on these scriptures today, God tells us here that there are two very contrasting meanings being given for this word wisdom. First, there's a form of wisdom that comes down from above. And secondly, there's a form of wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And as I've considered these two forms of wisdom, though they are obviously very different, listen, when the rush of our daily pressures come to bear on us, I do see that we can often very easily confuse one for the other. Think about it. As some of those pressing circumstances of our day surround and overwhelm us, our minds often quickly search for answers that will work for us. And under pressure, we might find ourselves choosing a form of wisdom that solves our problem. And perhaps it will even seem like common sense. But the choice we make really might not be the best wisdom. It may not be wisdom from above, but instead our choice might be the wisdom of the world. But again, it's not always easy for us to know the difference when both of those forms of witness take the same appearance. Worldly wisdom can easily counterfeit itself and look like godly wisdom. And folks, worldly wisdom can be so enticing to us, reaching out for us, 
drawing us into its ideas and into its ways of thinking and convincing us to choose its ways. My mind goes to those times when I would be sitting in business meetings and we would be trying to determine a solution to a problem that was taking place. I must confess to you that too often we would arrive at a consensus of what seemed like common sense. But later on, looking at the results of what we would decide, we would realize, no, that was not wisdom from above. That was our own wisdom. Earthly. It worked for a while, but then it didn't work. If we do that too often, folks, if we choose the world's wisdom too often, it can become normal for us. And we begin to own its ways of thinking as our own. And sadly, the more we own the world's wisdom and its ideas, the more the world begins to own us. And yes, as our owner, the world can begin to make decisions and demands on our behavior, insisting that we join with it in its ways. For some, choosing worldly wisdom might involve making choices about just the basic necessities of life, simply because we do need food and clothing. We need to decide where we'll be working or where we shouldn't work. But there's going to be sacrifices that are made for each of those decisions, especially if they are more earthly decisions being made. Because they can look so good, because there might be a better place to live, perhaps higher salary, but they, there will be consequences for our decisions. The problems that can follow along with the worldly wisdom that we choose can take us down paths that we really should not go. And over and over throughout these scriptures, God gives us clear instructions to help us to discern the choices that we have in front of us each day so that we're able to make truly wise decisions. But before we close today, I'd like to call back to mind the essential message that's being given here in this text. Here God is speaking about how most all of the occurrences of our daily life are complicated, yes. But then again, maybe they're not so complicated. And he concludes his instruction by saying to us that such matters should really be simpler than we often make them out to be. That all the difficulties of our daily life most often come down to the simple matter of choices that we make. And no matter what excuse we might decide to make, we will always be held accountable for the choice that we make. You might recall from the words in Deuteronomy 30 that at every moment God is placing those choices before us. Life and good, death and evil. And he says to us, choose life. Yeah, that's a simpler choice. It's not nearly as complicated if we choose truth and we choose life. Here in this passage, God is telling us that he has set before us the wisdom of the world, which is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. He's also set before us wisdom that comes from heaven, which is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, and impartial and sincere. And what he's crying out for us to do in these scriptures is to choose life. Listen as I close. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray.